That's the Underdog Podcast, presented by Underdog Dynasty and SB Nation. Welcome to another edition of the Conference USA Underdog Podcast. We saw week zero come and go with the Rice Owls barely getting out of that game against the Prairie View A&M Panthers. Um, some entertainment value in there, and we'll, we'll definitely get to that in the beginning of the show. Uh, but first, welcome back. I'm Joe Londrigan, the Western Kentucky blogger over at UnderdogDynasty.com, SB Nation's home for G5 football. And uh, joining me, returning, is uh, my good buddy Satchel Zip for the former Old Dominion kicker punter. How are you today, dude? I'm good. I'm good. How about yourself? I'm all right. I'm tired. You know, I feel like now that, like, the summer's finally coming to a close and it's getting colder, I don't know why I, like, instantly felt, like, sleepy all the time. It's it's perfect napping weather where I am right now. Oh, yeah. Portland. Portland's known for that. Yeah. Like, with just the, the fall coolness, there's a nice crispness in the air. And, uh... Yeah. This is what this is the kind of weather as a fat man I feel like I was born for. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. It's it's perfect cuddle weather. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> um, but before this gets any weirder, let's move on to uh, football stuff. Uh, Rice beat Prairie View A and M 31-28 on a last-second field goal by Jack Fox over the weekend. Rice surprised us all by starting Mr. Sean Stankovich, the Vanderbilt transfer quarterback. He split time with Jackson Tyner. Uh, but the run game was what really saved the Owls in this one. Uh, Rice had 310 yards in the ground. Emmanuel Asukpa led the way with 173 yards and a touchdown. Austin Walter also had two touchdowns and 83 rushing yards in the day. But I gotta tell you, this defense, uh, the secondary specifically, really needs some serious work. That kid that transferred from Oregon just really had his way with that owl defense for most of the game. But I'll tell you what I did really like about Rice was Mr. Jack Fox, uh, the punter kicker, looked really, really good. Had a 63-yard punt that night, averaged 43 yards on five punts, multiple which landed inside the five. And he kicks field goals now, apparently, too, taking on double duty. Um, so I don't know that this was the best step Rice could have taken in that week one or week zero game, but... A win's a win, I guess, if you're looking at it from an Alice fan's perspective, right? Oh, yeah. I love the, love the instant analysis you had on the special teams. Very much appreciated. Of course. Um, obviously, new coach, uh, new system, but still, it's Prairie View A&M. So, while it's a win, I would, I would uh, be, you know, cautious and your hopes, Owl fans, just at least for the time being, until you see them play, you know, higher competition. Yeah, you know, anytime you play an FCS team like this, you have to take it a little bit with a grain of salt, I feel like. But at the same time, you know, you got to treat them with a little bit of respect. And I don't know if there was some overconfidence with Rice, especially in that that end of that first half where they got on top by about 16 points and then just kind of took their foot off the gas. And I feel like that's what really let Prairie View kind of run around a little bit because that quarterback, uh, you know, he, he had some pressure, but he was just all over the place. And I feel like when they start playing some of the more mobile quarterbacks in Conference USA when Rice does, I feel like they're going to have some, some issues. So yeah. hopefully they can get that fixed. 
next game that uh, we need to talk about. We did speak to UAB and Savannah State a little bit on the last podcast, and by the time this episode goes up, um, it's going to be too late for that game. So if you're looking for analysis of UAB, Savannah State, you can go back and listen to the last episode. But in a nutshell, that Savannah State team is not very good. We all feel really really good about what's happening with UAB's backfield right now. Expect the Blazers to run away with that game. Satchel, do you have anything to add to that? No, I think it's going to be you know, similar to that UMass Duquesne game that happened the other day. Yeah, I guess that's a pretty good analysis. Uh, Really, Duquesne didn't even look like Duquesne. Duquesne. You're right. I'm sorry. Duquesne. It didn't even look yeah. like they were playing the same sport at times. But, yeah. you know, uh, hopefully, I think UMass is in for uh, an okay year. They're good. Yeah, they're, they're looking decent. I mean, they have BC this week, so that'll be a big test. Yeah. Especially yeah. with BC being a good team this year. For sure. And no matter the opponent, you don't win a game with 53 points if you're not competent. Was it 53 or 63? I thought it was 53, but I could be wrong. Uh, yeah, I'm not 100% sure, actually. Right. I get, you know, they they asked me to watch one conference, and that's all my, my caveman brain can really focus on, let's be honest. Um, but the next game on the docket is WKU versus Wisconsin, the number four Badgers in Madison, 8 p.m. Central Time on Friday night. On ESPN, the national primetime slot there. You know, I, I love the tops, but I just do not see this game going well for them. Uh, the Badgers are favored by 36 and a half points for a reason. There's just so much star power on that Wisconsin team, especially up front. Uh, that offensive line just controls the game when they want to, and the inexperience along WKU's defensive line is certainly not going to do them any favors. And offensively, I have my doubts about Drew Eccles starting at quarterback. I think uh, there's the possibility that we see Davis Shanley and Kavaris Thomas both get snaps there. Uh, they are listed as the number two and number three guys on the depth chart that came out earlier this week. Uh, and then at running back, that WKU depth chart literally says that five different guys are going to get snaps. And I don't understand how you establish any kind of momentum with that sort of system. And it really shows that there's not really a definitive guy that's stepped up in fall camp so far. And that's not even touching the fact that WKU's offensive line needs to be so, so, so much better than they were last year. And, you know, we're and you're see- playing the number 14 in the country. That will mean that too. All, you know, all that said, like you mentioned, this could all be a moot point simply because Wisconsin is just so yeah. good on their own. But, you know, I mean, come- you're looking at the Big Ten West champion. For sure. For sure. It's it's like Mike Sanford was saying in his press conference um, earlier Monday, actually. If the season ended right now, obviously, then they'd be in the college football playoff. And yeah. that's for a good reason. They're a very good team. Yeah. And Sanford really <laughs> he has such an inside knowledge about college football. <laughs> I, I love Mike Sanford, but away with words he does not have. So... <laughs> uh, but Wisconsin's very good, and there's just so many questions still going on with Western, especially. I don't see them really having any chance in this game. 
Yeah, I, I, I would take the spread here, actually, to be honest. I would agree with that, that 36.5 point <laughs> spread. I think it's going to be a pretty fun game. Or, <laughs> uh, it's going to be pretty bad. It, it, and it's not going to even, it's, it's going to be bad just because of the fact that, you know, Wisconsin's coming in probably with one of the top quarterback, quarterbacks in the country. Uh, he's from Virginia. I forget his name now. Uh, mm-hmm. Alex, Alex something. Hornybrook? Is it Hornybrook? Alex Horn, yeah, it's definitely Alex Hornybrook. And, you know, that team is just coming off with a great season and they're, they're even better now, so. I, I wouldn't expect much other than maybe, you know, get some guys some reps so that they can, uh, you know, be ready for the season week, season to come. For sure. I think that's going to end up happening with, with both teams here just because yeah. Wisconsin's going to run away with this pretty quickly. Um, going to a CUSA versus P5 game that I think is going to go slightly differently is uh, FAU versus Oklahoma in Norman. That's Saturday at 11 a.m. local time there on Fox, another nationally televised game. Uh, so the Sooners are favored by 21 points here. And I do think Oklahoma is going to win this game, but I think it's by less than 21, honestly. I think FAU is too talented to get blown out completely, but at the end of the day, it is still Oklahoma and it's on the road. So FAU also starting the year off with an L, um, you know, despite what I think is going to be an eye-catching performance by Devin Singletary and possibly a few other members of that L team. I give it a plus or three minus, plus or minus three points from the spread. So either 18 or 24. Okay. It's going to be within that range. Fair enough. Yeah. I just think, I mean, FAU's a decent team, but I'm, I'm, I'm sure they've lost some guys in Oklahoma. Just, they're able to just rebuild every single year. And they have that quarterback that's, you know, a major league pitcher now, apparently, too. And, uh. Kyler Murray. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I don't think you're going to see too much of a step back for Oklahoma here. And I think you're going to see more of one by FAU. FAU is still an amazing team and they have so much talent. I just think that Oklahoma is too much for a lot of teams, especially a team that just doesn't have the draw that a school like Oklahoma can get with the top recruits in the country. So. Well, sure, sure. And, you know, FAU's not quite there yet, obviously, but, um, you know, I, I really think this is going to just provide that program with a good stage to kind of showcase what they can do. And I think if they can at least put on a good show and then, you know, win the games they're supposed to win moving forward, I think that's only going to help their chances to get into a good bowl game and possibly even a New York Six bowl game if UCF manages to slip up down the road, which, you know, Time will tell well, if they do or not. Well, they would have to slip up down the road for FAU to make a bowl game. Yes. To make a New York Six Bowl game. Yes, yes. That, I mean, that, that's, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Um, which. No, because they play each other. Right. So that's what I'm saying. The only way, the only way that either, any team from the P or the G5 makes it is if they can, you know, go 11 and 1 or 12 and 0, so. Right. So I, th- I think we're I think we're sort of saying the same thing, but anyway. Uh, no, show. We're not. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Um, even further building the hype for that FAU UCF game in a few weeks. So definitely have the DVR set for that one. Have, I've had my DVR set for that one for a few months. Um, but moving on to another local battle, Rice 
hosting Houston at 11 Central Time on CBS Sports Network. Um, I think Houston has this one in the bag, honestly, and I think it'll be interesting to see how... Uh, this Rice offensive line that Mike Bloomgren takes such pride in matches up against Ed Oliver, and something tells me it's not going to be pretty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's the number one, what, he's probably the number one prospect in the country next week going for the draft, right? I would think so. He's going to be the number one pick probably, right? That's what everyone's assuming. Right. I mean, when you talk about this guy's athleticism, there's a reason that there's all these rumors about him possibly even getting snaps on offense at some point. So, yeah, so. it's going to yeah, be. I, just, I don't see them doing anything. And I, just, I don't know. I just, Rex wasn't impressive enough to say that there's going to be any type of pushback from them on Houston. So. I completely agree. Um, and, but I do think it'll be a, a good learning experience for that Rice offensive line, especially in an, a system like Mike Bloomgren's where their success is so pivotal. Um, going up against Ed Oliver, who is, let's be honest, the best defensive lineman in the country is only going to help them understand what it really takes to you know, achieve the kind of success that Mike Bloomgren's offensive lines achieved at Stanford. Um, next game, Marshall at Miami at 3.30 p.m. in Oxford, Ohio on ESPN+. Plus. Oxford, Ohio had many a weird night in that town growing up, let me tell you, which I won't. But uh, keep in mind, this game was just a five-point Marshall win last year, and I think we see a very similar result this year. Uh, Miami's recruiting really well, and they're a program on the rise, but at the end of the day, I'm thinking that uh, that offense with Alex Thompson and uh, Terry Brady will be the herd saving grace as they start their year off with a win. Yeah, I mean, Miami, Miami finished off the year strong last year, but they weren't in any way like a competitive team for the MAC. Um, I think it's, it's going to be a little more than just five. I think it's going to be probably 10 to 14 points mm-hmm. differential. But I think that's going to be more late down the road. Marshall's going to score late. And just Marshall just probably – Marshall does what Marshall does best, which is they just overall just run it over you throughout the entirety of the game, not just early. So – Yeah, I I think what we saw last year with Marshall was just their ability to really completely dominate the line of scrimmage. And while a few of those guys are gone, I still think they're going to be able to. Still Marshall. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's their their thing. It's the same essence within that that thundering herd uh, offensive line. Um, So expect the thundering herd win there uh, over the MAC opponent. And then we'll move on to your boy, Satchel, Old Dominion at Liberty at uh, 6 p.m. on ESPN3. It is at Liberty, correct? Am I getting that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, at their brand new stadium. Okay. So they just, they just renovated their stadium to, you know, be able to be FCS or FBS. Right. Um, this is an interesting game because one thing I, you know, people were making fun of me when I originally said that this was probably one of the most intriguing games for Power G5 for the week. Mm. But at the end of the day, this is an in-state rivalry that hasn't been played in years. Um, you know, both teams are finally FBS. ODU is coming off a hard season, and so is Liberty. But these are two – this game has, features uh, 
the highest, like, when you average out the two teams, the highest amount uh, or the highest uh, uh, what's the experience of anyone in the country this year. So Old Dominion and Liberty are two of the highest experienced teams in the country when it comes to players that have played, started, and uh, snaps played. And so is Liberty. So uh, between the two, you're going to get guys that have played a lot of football for their school uh, playing in a game that, you know, essentially is going to be, you know, a quintessential uh, rivalry down the road for years to come. So I think it's going to be a super interesting game. I think ODU has this one. Um, I just think there's too much star power on ODU's team. I mean, ODU has all five offensive linemen coming back. Uh, we have a we have a running back in uh, Jeremy who is, you know, probably going to be on that higher one of the higher echelon running backs in Conference USA this year. And then we have another running back that I'm not going to say because it's inside intel that is – you know, a banger, and he is going to be a great player for us down the line, not this year, but down the line. So it's just interesting. You know, I, I expect, and then obviously uh, uh, Stevie Williams is, you know, another year under his belt, and after, after last season being kind of thrown into the Lions den early, uh, the last four games of the season he didn't throw a single interception, didn't cause a single turnover, played actually pretty well for, uh, for you know, a young 18-year-old. Uh, I think they continue on that path this year. Um, and just look look out for them. They're going to be a lot. Everyone's joking at me, thinking that you know I'm completely just biased in my opinion that they're going to be a contender for the East this year. But I, I I just don't get how you don't see that. So you know, I don't think very many people, from what I've actually spoken to, disagree with you that strongly in that Old Dominion's going to make a run at the uh, title. I think it was just uh, Kirk Herbstreit the other day who labeled Old Dominion as one of those surprise teams you got to pay attention to. Um, but I think like, we win 10, or 10 games this year. It's certainly a possibility. Um, and like you mentioned, I think Stevie Williams only going to come back bigger, better, stronger after his performance last year and certainly with the work that goes into an offseason. And yeah. personally, I've been waiting to see what this defensive line can really do. Uh, Four seniors, man. Yeah. Four senior starters. So yeah. There's only one defensive line that has more senior starters, and that is the number two team in the country. So Exactly. So, you know, I, I think Old Dominion is going to win this game. And like you've been saying, I'm getting more and more convinced that this team's going to accomplish something something great this year. So we'll yeah, see. I think we're going to be the FAU of last year, to be honest. That would certainly be uh, – I mean – you know, I don't know really know what to think of that. I definitely think they're going to be successful and get to a bowl game and have a good shot to win a bowl game. But uh, you don't want the conference. Okay, you know, um, I'll take your word for it. Um, I I know this. I would certainly love to see them go into Liberty's house and beat them because I <laughs> I try to no, stay unbiased, but I don't like Liberty. No one likes Liberty. <laughs> yeah, I want to see them just crush them, and I think they will. All right. Hopefully we see that. Um, next game, Charlotte hosting Fordham at 6 Eastern on ESPN+. And listen, Charlotte is going to struggle plenty this season, but I don't think that they're going to necessarily in this particular game. Um, if they do, then there will be a serious conversation that needs to be had with Brad Lambert on Monday. 
That being said, I do think that there's enough in this Charlotte secondary and in Hassan Clue to get the uh, get the 49ers started off in the win column. I think this comes down to whoever has the ball last. Do you think so? Yeah. Mm. I think I think it's going to be a one possession game to the last second. So, and it's going to be whoever has the ball last. Now, how how up are you on your FCS football to provide us a little insight into what Fordham's able to do? I don't think Fordham's a generally an amazing team, but I just, you know, last year, I mean, obviously NCA&T is a different team than Fordham, but in general, mm-hmm. um, I just think you have, you know, a young, like how, how just Charlotte plays and you just know Charlotte as a football, like what they're, what they are, what they do and what happens and how they kind of turn it around or later in the season, if they want, if they do turn it around, obviously, um, I don't know. I think I think they struggle mightily in this game. So, okay. You know, if Do you hear me? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. If if that's the case, and Charlotte does end up struggling against this FCS team, then that's got to be a bad omen for the rest of the year. You already have this just this cloud of negative energy hanging over that program right now from the fans and the outside observers who really don't understand how Brad Lambert's still there. And at this point, I'm just retreading ground that I've hit over and over and over over the course of the last year in terms of what I think of where that program is and what I think of Brad Lambert's coaching ability. So we can move on. But uh, and the interesting thing about this Fordham team is, you know, they didn't have a good year last year. Yeah. But I'm on their roster right now. And they got at least 28 to 30 seniors on this team. That's a very experienced ball club, and that can yes. only really pay dividends against a, yeah. against a team like Charlotte. Yeah, they have a lot of seniors on this team. So, Wow. Okay. Um, speaking of experience, uh, Jamar Smith doesn't have a ton of it, but I'm ex- really excited to see what he does in this game against South Alabama on uh, – on Saturday at 6 p.m. Central Time on ESPN+. Plus. On paper, this really seems like a Louisiana Tech win, even if there are some kinks to kind of work out with that Bulldog team. I think Tech are just a more talented team right now than South Alabama, so give me the Bulldogs by two touchdowns in this game. Um, I'm saying... I'm not, I'm not saying actually. I don't think it's going to be that much. I think it's going to be probably a seven point game or less. But okay. I think Louisiana Tech pulls it out. So. so we agree on the end result, but not necessarily how we get there. Yes. Fair enough. Um, but like I said, I think Jamar Smith is really progressing in the right direction. Um, there's something weird going on with that tech program, and I just I can't really put my finger on what. Um, they've had a few of their uh, top recruits from this past class um, leave fall camp, so I'm not really sure what's going on there. Um, definitely something to keep an eye on if you are interested in what's going on with Tech's depth as we move into the season, but something's not right with uh, with that program right now, and I'm not really sure what it is, but still, I think there's plenty of talent. I think they're going to win some ball games this year. Um, next one is FIU hosting Indiana at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on CBS Sports Network. 
Uh, I'm excited to see what this FIU defensive line can do. Uh, we just got done talking about Old Dominion's defensive line and how experienced they are. On the flip side, this FIU D-line is mostly kind of younger guys or newcomers anyway. And I really think that there's going to be something special to see from that position group this year. Um, and I'm also really interested to see what these new skill position guys who are replacing the Panthers, um, you know, stars from last year, like Alex Magoo, who's now in the Seahawks. Um, but <laughs> you're laughing at Magoo, right? Yeah, fair. <laughs> this game's gonna be Mr. Magoo one day. <laughs> um, but I'm really excited to see. <laughs> I'm really excited to see what these skill position guys replacing people like him are gonna do this year. Um, and I'm taking Indiana to win this game, but I think it's gonna be a lot closer than what people think. See, we we had the same discussion last year about the Indiana game, and I just I don't know. I think in general, Indiana's just a good team. I think they're always one of those teams that goes like to a bowl game and from the Big Ten. And I just usually you know it'll be one out of every four years they'll just miss one. But I just think they're an overall you know a decent team. Uh, I I don't think Florida International has what it takes to you know stick with them in the long run, just like most teams like I say from G5 to P5. So I'll still I'll say it's about a 14 to 17 point, but I think one of those touchdowns is scored late for Indiana, and then it just becomes kind of a you know let's run down the clock game now. Yeah, I think that's kind of what I envisioned as well. Um, I imagine this FIU team t- uh, hanging for most of it, but at the end of the day, that Big Ten uh, caliber team that Indiana is kind of taking over at the end there and really. Uh, cementing the victory, but one team who I don't think is gonna get an upset is Jackson State against Southern Miss at uh, 6 p.m. Central Time on ESPN Plus. Jack Abraham making his debut as the starting quarterback for Southern Miss uh, will probably be a great night for him, honestly, because Jackson State football is just in rough shape. Uh, if you go back to what they were able to do last year, it really wasn't much. Um, I see. USM winning by three scores here, despite them losing a lot of offensive depth over the offseason. Uh, yeah, I still I agree actually, just completely. I mean, that's just a, that's my we have, we have this game we're going on within the CSN BBS forum, uh, forum for ODU where we pick a team each week. You can't pick the same team twice, and you uh, you set them in as your lock for like the win of the week. And Southern Miss is obvious choice there, in my opinion, at least. Yeah, yeah, for sure a lock. Um, if not, then again, there's going to be some serious conversations that need to be had, especially since Jay Hobson just got a four year contract extension. But um, it's a weird one too. It's like mm -hmm. no buyout clause or something anymore. It's no buyout clause, but if he wins a game against FBS, he gets twenty five thousand. But his like his like salary didn't go up, so he's still one of the lowest paid coaches in uh, in Conference USA. I'm pretty sure. So they just added in more incentives for him. More incentives and less less uh, less like reason to hold him over. So like someone could just easily like Skype or snipe him if they wanted to like take him. So gotcha. Because there's no buyout clause anymore. Interesting. I don't necessarily know that if you are 
an FBS or not an FBS, if you're a P5 program or something, that you're necessarily going to jump at the chance to get Jay Hobson as your first choice. But I do think that's kind of an interesting setup for him where um, it's just incentive. Never know. If he has a good yeah. season. He has yeah. a couple good seasons in a row. Because think about this. Think about what happened. No one really knew what was going to come of McIlwain, and obviously he didn't succeed at the G5 or P5 level. Mm-hmm. But that dude had like a $40 million buyout with Colorado State, and Florida played it <laughs> in full. So. That's true. I guess you'd really never know what's going to happen with these guys if they make that jump. But yeah. um, speaking of G5 coaches who could possibly make a P5 jump within the next couple of years, um, Seth Luttrell. Uh, no. You don't think so? Okay, we, all right. We, we don't need to get into this. You get enough Twitter crap for this, for your opinions on this. Uh, but uh, in Denton, we have North Texas hosting SMU at 630. No TV that I know of for this one, which is a little strange, but I have SMU winning this game by 10, honestly, and I think both offenses are good, but I just think SMU's defense is just a little bit better, and there's some concern with North Texas's running back group as well. Uh, you really need to replace the production that Jeffrey Wilson had, and um, I don't know that Nick Smith is necessarily going to jump to that, uh, rise to that challenge immediately. So uh, I, I just think SMU's offense is going to be a little more uh, fired up, and I think they're going to score more points, which is how you win games. So. Uh, so it's interesting because SMU is like definitely a experienced team. I mean, they were like freaking like 14 graduate transfers, like a huge amount of graduate transfers. Um, it's kind of an interesting game because it's always always with the Texas ones. Obviously, SMU went to a bowl game last year, and most of those guys have returned that were starters. Um, and they were playing in a decent kind in American, which is last year had two of the best teams, and they almost beat UCF on homecoming for UCF. So, uh, actually, no, for them, never mind, not UCF, so I'm coming, their homecoming. Um, yeah, I would say SMU wins this one, but it's going to be a well good, well placed, or well played game on both sides. So. I agree, which makes it all the more strange that there's no TV. Yeah. Probably TV within Texas, but I don't think that's a well people outside of Texas really care too much. No offense, I'm just being honest. I, I guess. I mean, yeah, I guess you have a point. I don't know. I, it, I guess not everybody is G5 football nerds like us, but still. Um, there is another game happening in Texas this weekend, and that's El Paso. Uh, the UTEP Miners hosting the Northern Arizona Lumberjacks in El Paso um, to start off the Dana Dimmel era. UNA are actually favored here, which is a little surprising, but... NAU, NAU, NAU. You're going to annoy me if you say that. <laughs> All right. I'm sorry. No, you're fine. Northern, N- it's Northern NAU. Arizona. NAU, yeah. Sorry. Actually favored here, which is a little surprising, but I guess not really considering what we know about UTEP football and its current state. But it's really imperative that the Miners are able to win here in order to show that the program is headed in a positive direction, especially with this this new guy that I think most people outside of the UTEP diehards are a little shaky on. Yeah. 
I mean, you got to look at it this way. Northern Arizona had a pretty young team last year. Uh, most of those guys are returning. They went to the, their conference championship last year. They went to the FCF playoffs. Obviously, they lost both of those games pretty badly. But I think, actually, I agree. I think Northern Arizona is going to win this game because I just don't think there's been enough turnaround yet of the player personnel for them to, for UTEP to, you know, pull this one out. And I think Northern Arizona has a, you know, more incentive to win this game. You don't think the addition of a graduate transfer fullback was enough to pull a complete program turnaround? I mean, you know how much I like, you know, run blocking and, you know, one catch per game uh, receiving. Sure. <laughs> but, no, I, I just can't see it happening, man. Can't see it happening. I mean, I, I think the only problem you see with uh, Northern Arizona, if I can, I'm trying to remember, but I think they, I think they found a new quarterback. They got a new, they're trying to, trying out a new quarterback. But, you know, these, these FCS teams, you know, they're not to reckon with this year. I mean, they have plenty of, plenty of old players on this team. Between seniors and juniors on this Northern Arizona team, there's about 55. Thanks. So, yeah, that's yeah. a lot of upperclassmen. Yeah. So the only problem there is a quarterback, but, um, you know, it's going to have to be, it's going to be either a freshman or, or a sophomore or a junior. You have Case Kukis, great name, uh, who's out of California. He's 6'4", 205, so he fits the mold of actually a Division One FBS quarterback. So, you know, I, I don't think there's going to be too much turnover there, but, you know, it, it really just depends on how how motivated and how, you know, ready, you know, UTEP seems to be because I, I just I just don't see them being, you know, fully invested in this season yet. I don't know why. I just don't. I want them to be, but... Well, sure. I don't think you're going to go from as bad as UTEP was last year to powerhouse overnight, but no. time. I, I still, honestly, to, in my opinion, if they don't win this game, I don't think they win a game this year, unfortunately. I mean, I can see where you're coming from. I, I don't have the full UTEP you know, schedule in front of me, but I do think um, if they this don't win this game, one. that's a really tough start to the Damon Dimmel era. Um, yeah. Next game on the docket was uh, Middle Tennessee at Vanderbilt on the SEC Network at 6.30 Nashville time. Give me Vandy by 10 in this one. Um, I, there are a few names on Middle Tennessee's roster that uh, impress me. I, I think Stockstill at quarterback is going to have a pretty good last year. I think uh, Khalil Brooks is, you know, a, a guy who has – you know, potential to maybe make something happen at the next level. But honestly, the rest of that team, I'm just not that impressed by them. Yeah, I, I don't think – I think Vanderbilt covers the spread here. Sure. I think Vanderbilt, you know, they'll figure it out. But they'll just keep rowing that boat. So – Is that – Shout out to Ricky James, by the way. He's playing really well. Is that, is that his name? It's like Ricky something, isn't it? Richie? The old, Richie James. Richie James, yeah, my yeah. bad. Yeah. He's playing really well in the preseason right now. 
Yeah, there's there's a few uh, old Conference USA tight ends who are who are making things happen. Uh, Tawan Taylor had the big play for the Titans not that long ago, and uh, I, yeah, that was Zach the one that Pascal. Zach Pascal scored a touchdown with like four seconds left for the Colts, That's true. but they, they went for two and missed it yeah. and lost the game. That's that's but, the Indianapolis Colts in a nutshell right now. If it <laughs> just from there's, there's definitely going to be some guys that make a roster that weren't expected to at first. So it'll be really it'll be fun to see. And Taylor Heineke is supposed. To, I, I would assume he's probably going to be the second string quarterback after he's how he's played at Carolina this year. That's true. I, I did see a little bit of him, and he's played really well. Yeah, I. I mean, you said it. I think. He has a shot to, you know, not only make that roster, but... Oh, he'll make the roster no matter what. It's just a matter of if he can be the second string now. Yeah. So, so. it's definitely looking like he's going to achieve that. So, good for him. And good for all the Conference USA guys in the NFL right now. Oh, yeah. Just to see all of them even making, you know, get that payday. It's great to see. Absolutely. Uh, then you know whose house to go to for parties, right? Yep. <laughs> um... And then the next one, speaking of people that I may or may not want to party with, uh, Herm Edwards, just because he's so weird, but UTSA at Arizona State at 7.30 PT. Um, you know, I think Arizona State is going to win this one because of the talent in their offense with Manny Wilkins and Nikhil Harry. Um I, people expect too little out of Herm Edwards as a coach, honestly. And I know he's super weird, and he had that really awkward introductory press conference. Uh, Where he didn't even know the name. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you, don't, you don't need to know the name of the team you're coaching. You just need to know how to coach football. And I think he knows enough to, um, you know, win this game, certainly. And I, I just think it's funny that people are almost thinking, like, they're, they're giving – UTSA the benefit of the doubt in this game, you know, I guess partially because they beat Baylor last year and they just want to see the program get another win over a P5, but also simply just because Herm Edwards is kind of out there. It's almost like they just think he's going to like pull like a Poochie from the Simpsons and just like lift off the earth and go back to his home planet in the middle of the game or something. You know, I, I think I think there's enough on that Arizona State team to start UTSA season off with a loss, as much as the uh, the UTSA guys on Underdog Dynasty might want to, uh, you know, disagree with me. But we'll see. Yeah, I feel like you don't people don't understand that like. To be an NFL coach, you have to be one of the best 32 coaches in the, in the world. Like, the, it, people don't understand. Like, he was an NFL coach, like, head coach, dude, mm-hmm. for, like, two different teams. So, like, he, he, I don't know what people think. Like, he's just not a good coach. Yeah, someone can be weird and be, like, still be an amazing head coach. Look at Lane Kiffin. True. Like, the dude's a strange but, you know, he, he figured it out and he's dug doing awesome things and he actually connects with his players I mean you you listen to any interviews that these guys have with the FAU guys they all praise him for being a great you know players coach Mm -hmm. so that's very true you know it's at a certain point it's not 
being strange. It's just having a personality. And I'm, I'm, yeah, being yourself, being an individual. Dude, I'm sick of hearing these like cookie cutter responses from these high college coaches, <laughs> or just like just like the completely ignorant responses like Will Will Muschamp had the other day. Like those, just like oh yeah, just, just there's so much that like we could talk about with like the problems that are happening in college football, and I just, I've experienced them firsthand, but I'm not going to talk about it. But like. Not at ODU, but, um, so I guess you guys told me you know, you guys can probably narrow that Put the pieces together. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so it's just, I, I don't know, man. I just, it's, it's nice to see someone that, you know, is themselves and doesn't, you know, isn't trying to just be like, you know, coaching just for the sake of, you know, making the money and, you know, being like an authority figure. I, I, I like it. I like, I like player coaches. Sure. I, it's interesting how the difference between those players, coaches, and the other guys on the other end of the spectrum who approach being a football coach as if they were like, I don't know, like an army officer in a yeah, movie or something sorry. like that. Yeah. Or, yeah, or like, you know, the, those ones in like, I don't even know, like spy movies who like sell secrets to the Russians or something like that. That's I'm not saying I'm not saying Will Muschamp sold war secrets to the Russians, but that's the way he comes off. <laughs> yeah, like him, like Durkin and then like I don't know if you've seen it, but there's this YouTube video that just surfaced and it's uh, undercover interviews with old Florida players from the Urban Meyer era. And you listen to the, some of the things they did in Dirt and man, like you just have such a different perspective of Urban Meyer as a person and as a coach. And sure. just, I, I, I think I recommend, uh, if you can find it guys, go on YouTube and read it or listen to it because not only will it will give you like a perception of what it's like to play for Urban, but most of those, most of these coaches at the Power 5 level, man, that's how they are. Just who they are. That's just what NCAA athletics is. It's if you are if you're an NCAA athlete, you are a commodity and you are an asset to them. And once you are no longer of service to them, and you are no longer of any value, you are discarded. And it happens a lot more than you expect. And in DJ Durkin's case, he took it to far too far of a level, and a young man lost his life because of it. So I, I you know, I, I know we all love the game, but there's a lot to this game that's very dark past just the concussions. So. Mm-hmm. There's a lot going on. There's so many weird things that happen with uh, just the personality dynamics with the coaches in D1 football. Uh, Satchel, let me ask you. I'll take away. We'll take away Lane Kiffin because we we all know you like him and how he operates. I enjoy Lane Kiffin. You enjoy. You enjoy. <laughs> well, you enjoy Lane Kiffin because he's a players coach, and we'll we'll go ahead and take. Uh, Bobby Wilder out of the or not Bobby Wilder, old who, who, Bobby. Bobby, yeah, yeah we'll, Bobby. T- we'll take him out of it out of this conversation as well. Looking at the rest of Conference USA, who's your favorite head coach and who's your least favorite? Well, I know biasly, I'd say you know with uh, with Bobby there, I'd say Bobby. Sure. Because uh, let me just say this because I think it's it needs to be said. Um, I've met and talked to a lot of coaches in my day. Uh, when I was playing and when I was getting recruited from JUCO and in high school, um, I never met someone as honest and upfront with you as a person and, you know, more willing to have your back than Coach Wilder. Um, 
his door was always open for you, and that doesn't happen with head coaches. Usually when you are a college athlete at a football, at playing football, you do not talk to the head coach. You do not really interact with him unless he wants to interact with you. You interact with your position coach and your coordinator. That's about it. So just to see that was amazing. On When it comes to the rest of CUSA, I honestly don't know much about them, and I don't know how they are, and I don't want to speak on them on, on their behalf because I don't know them. So I don't know how they are. Some of them might be amazing in front of the camera and with the press and just be complete and utter just scumbags behind the scene. I hope that isn't the case with any of the coaches in our league. I think in a, in a large way that was the case with the, the coach that was at UTEP, uh, Kugler. I think he was, in, in, a, in a lot of regards, very hard on his players and wasn't very personal with them. And I think that's why he lost that locker room. Um, but I think there is, and I think, you know, the one thing I will say about Brad Lambert is he might not be, you know, putting up the numbers, but his players do, you can see the respect and you can see the respect from the university, which you have to assume is because of his personality and his, uh, you know, his morals as a person. So, you know, he, he, I'm not going to speak on anyone like that, but I would say, you know, Look at look at the demeanor of players and look at the demeanor of the coach during the game. I think that it, it is a telltale sign. So, all right, um, and we'll definitely be paying closer attention to that as we watch the games this week and as we move forward with the rest of the season. Football season is in full swing, people. Um, that's going to go ahead and wrap this edition of the show up. Uh, thank you so much to everyone that has listened to the show over the last year or so uh, who has subscribed on iTunes. If you haven't done that already, please do leave a review. It helps the show grow very much. Follow at Underdog Dynasty on Twitter. Like us on Facebook. Check out the site every day for new G5 football content from us and from the incredibly talented staff of writers and content creators we have over there. Um, once again, thank you so much. Have a great weekend. Satchel, do you have a sign-off line for the people this week? I don't. I'm just, you know, like everyone else, I'm just happy that football's back and we don't have to watch baseball on ESPN every day. <laughs> Take that, baseball. Happy football watching, everybody. Happy football watching, everybody.